Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Thursday, October 15th, 2015. normal episode today and it's going to feel like we're going to be all over the map and geographically that is the case I think Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy, bizarre things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bibles Use sound biblical hermeneutics, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture. It's about Jesus, not you, and what he's done for you. Um, proper distinction of law and gospel in order to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolettes, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books you know we need to be buying, who <laughs> you whose small group study material we need to be studying instead of the Bible, you know, when we get together. Um, yeah, yeah, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says. Are they rightly handling God's Word, correctly teaching the faith once delivered to the saints, or are they twisting God's Word, teaching uh, false doctrine and or heresy or both, um, and basically teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made in heresy and scratching, itching ears. You know, not so much on the orthodoxy side, though. You know, I'm just saying. All right, so let's talk about what we are going to do with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We are going to be listening to a video that was posted yesterday. And uh, this particular video can be found at WSPD.com. And uh, the uh, talk show host, Fred Lefevre, uh, Lefebvre, I can't even pronounce it. Uh, there's not a French bone in my body. But anyway, we'll just call him Fred. Fred had on a mayoral candidate uh, from the, um, the town of Toledo, Ohio. And her name is Opal, Opal Covey. And Opal Covey... Um, I think typifies kind of what's wrong with uh, going on in the uh, the charismatic Pentecostal movements. Uh, she you know, basically feels that she has received a vision from God to run for mayor. She is utterly unqualified to do so. 
And in the interview that uh, Fred conducted with her yesterday, that just became painfully clear. And after the interview, Opal just let Fred have it. And uh, they caught it on video and posted it up on their website. And we're going to listen as Opal literally uh, takes the time to curse and rebuke in tongues uh, Fred uh, Fred from um, iHeartRadio there in um, Toledo, Ohio. We will then switch gears and to give you a quick update on the uh, the uh, Elijah list culprit in the uh, culprit in the pulpit, uh, you know, game that's going on at Church Watch Central. They have new they they have you know new hints up, and so we'll take a look at that. And uh, I have it on good authority that they're hoping on uh, being able to n- help you narrow the list down so that you can begin submitting your guesses for who the culprit in the pulpit is uh, by the uh, end of the month, you know, around Reformation Day, about the time we're hoping to launch our new website. But um, and so uh, they may we we may even be able to have the announcement of who the culprit in the pulpit is here on Fighting for the Faith. We're working behind the scenes with the uh, the Church Watch people to see if we can make that happen. And so in honor of that, uh, we're going to introduce ourselves to some of the people on the list over the weeks ahead. Uh, the first one is the uh, prophetess Lana Vazer. Lana Vazer. Um, and uh, we're going to be listening to a portion of a um, prophecy service type of thingy. I don't know what it is. That uh, she's done here. So we'll stay under the uh, General Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update umbrella and uh, we'll move over and we'll do a little bit of uh, Lana Vazer. And then we'll take a break. When we come back from the break, we have an update from the Crossing Church and Eric Dykstra. And I want you to listen to this. Uh, he's bought into this whole power of I am thing, he's on the uh, Joel Osteen bandwagon. And we're going to listen to a portion of the sermon he delivered just this past weekend entitled The Power of I Am. And in literally the first seven minutes, you're going to come to believe that uh, Eric Dykstra isn't preaching biblical doctrine. He's preaching magic. Yeah, <laughs> magic. So, And then we'll uh, do a Kung He update. We're going to uh, spend a little bit of time just you know, going back through uh, some Kung He quotes over the past few years. Uh, you know, keep in mind. Uh, I think it's either the twenty-first or the twenty-second of uh, of October here that uh, Kong He's judgment is going to come down, and we're going to find out whether or not the uh, courts there in Singapore have found him guilty of basically moving church funds, you know, uh, illegally, uh, diverting them to support his uh, wife's secular um, music career. Yeah, no, that was just absolutely bizarre. So. Uh, we'll find out about that. So we kind of in preparation for that, we'll do a Kong He update. And then in hour number two, we're going to listen to a Kong He sermon. And this one takes a little bit of discipline. And what I mean by that is it's going to be in two parts. We're going to listen to the intro to the sermon from some clean audio that we have available uh, you know, from uh, some folks on the internet over at YouTube that uh, got it from the Kong He's broadcast. And this goes back a little bit. This goes back to the times when uh, Kong He and, uh, and uh, well, City Harvest Church were raising the funds, the $340 million necessary for them to get the SunTech Center. And at, at that time, Kong He literally preached a sermon 
on the nine reasons why Jesus wasn't poor. And it is absolutely despicable what it is that you're going to hear. But uh, the first part of the audio, uh, because uh, the the folks there at City Harvest Church have left that un, uh, untouched, is available, you know, in clean audio. Somebody sent me a bootleg copy of uh, the the rest of it because City Harvest Church in the uh, in their broadcast left off some of the nine reasons why Jesus wasn't poor, and so we're going to resort to a bootleg. Uh, version of the audio, which I've done everything I can to clean up, but it's still not all that easy to listen to. But I think you'll get what he's saying and get the gist of it. And so it'll be broken into two parts, clean audio and then bad audio, so that you can hear literally Kong Hee try to make the argument that Jesus was like ridiculously rich. No joke. It's unbelievable. So that's what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to start off with the prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. And uh, what we're going to be listening to is uh, audio from a video posted on a, a, a talk, uh, Secular Talk Station's website uh, after their interview with a charismatic Pentecostal type uh, named Opal Covey. And uh, she's running for mayor there in Toledo, Ohio, and, uh, you know, cl- basically claiming, you know, she's uh, been asked to run by God himself. And uh, and so uh, in the interview that was conducted with her and Fred yesterday on iHeartRadio at uh, WSPD, things didn't go so well for Opal, and it really became evident that she's a complete hack and has, like, no qualifications whatsoever to actually be the mayor of Toledo, Ohio. And uh, she was not happy with uh, how that interview went, and she unleashed this tirade on uh, Fred from uh, WSPD there in Toledo, Ohio. Listen in. You tried to destroy me this morning. No, I tried to get you, you to tried, give me details no, on your plan. I can't give you which, every detail. Because you're unable to because you have no plan. I'm seeing, I came back and this word, this word will rebuke you. Okay. And I don't know what God is going to do. Now, she's pulled out her Bible, and apparently this is now retaliation time. This word's going to rebuke you. Notice here, apparently, um, Opal has been taught that Christianity is all about decreeing and declaring and speaking in tongues and all this other kind of stuff. 
And so she believes that she's on a mission from God to become the mayor of Toledo, Ohio. And because the interview really painted her in a bad light because she's utterly unqualified, she's decided to pull out her Bible in order to basically use it as a curse book, uh, to you know, basically use it in a magical way, if you would, in order to uh, you know to decree and declare curses upon Fred uh, for daring to make the uh, prophetess um, <clears throat> Opal Covey look bad in public. I have no idea what he's going to do either. None of us right. know. But but you are coming up against the works of the Lord. Okay. And you're not accepting it. And you're doing I am not. You're, you're right. doing retaliation on me. Of course you are. And you're... So he's not accepting the works of the Lord through the prophetess Opal Covey. Doing retaliation. Yes, just you want you to get specific about no. how you're going to do these things. Which I cannot the Lord tell has told you, but exact what the Lord has told me. Right. But I've already had a phone call at home. When mm-hmm. I got home, yeah. he says, Fred is trying to make a fool of you. You, uh, you are the one that's the fool. To do you know that in your uh, in your good book right there, it mm-hmm. says that if you don't get elected mayor, if you don't get the seat in November, mm-hmm. that you are a false prophet? It's in- Yeah, if apparently Fred knows his Bible. Um, yeah, he knows that because Opal is claiming that she's received a prophetic vision from God that she's going to become the next mayor of Toledo, that uh, Fred's basically saying, hey, if you don't, you're a false prophet. And he's right. You can look it up. Well, right now. And right now, actually, you are a false prophet because you said you were going to get elected before and you haven't been elected. So you are a false prophet, Opal Kobe. Yes, she is. That's right. She is. Right now, because you have called me a false prophet Mm -hmm. to my face, I will wipe the dust, the very dust... So she's going to wipe the dust off of her feet because he has rightly pointed out that she is a false prophet. Mm-hmm. By feet off against you. That's what Jesus a, told the apostles to do when they went to the city. As a testimony against you. To them. As a testimony against you. Mm-hmm. And whatever God does, the people will see it. All right. The people will see it. Fair enough. Because I rebuke you, and I curse that evil spirit within you that was... So apparently he has an evil spirit within him that's uh, that needs to be cursed. Where is this taught in Scripture? I mean, Fred here is rightly pointed out that she's a false prophet. She has decided to take it upon him herself to decree and declare curses over Fred for actually doing the uh, the city of Toledo, Ohio, a favor and exposing this woman for what she is. Have done to destroy me this morning shall destroy you. I speak in tongues against you. You are an evil man. And you- so speaking in tongues against him. Yeah, where's that taught in the Bible? Important to note here when the gift of tongues showed up, it was used specifically by the Holy Spirit in order to declare the gospel and the wonders of God to people so they can hear it in their own native language. Now, apparently, Opal is, uh, believes that uh, tongues can be used now as a, as a language for spiritual cursing of those who rightly point out that she's a false prophetess. That's God speaking against you. A window? Yeah, no, that's not God speaking at all. That's um, 
Opal Covey uh, saying that. Yeah, Fred's uh, sarcasm is coming through loud and clear. Okay, I think I say unto thee, I don't thou shalt not prosper. All right, I thou shalt not prosper, and the Lord shall come forth. Okay. Now here's the issue: is that uh, clearly uh, Opal is somebody who seems like she might be mentally unhinged, but the thing is, is that although she's really looking like a complete wingnut and a crackpot, this theology that she's spewing here. This has become mainstream charismatic theology. We got a problem, don't we? He's coming forth. Did you wipe the dirt off enough? Or do you need to wipe again? Listen, Eddie. You're still... Come on. I got work to do, Opal. You're done here. I'm going to leave. Yes, you are going to leave out this door. So come on. This way. Throw me out. No, nobody's throwing you out, but you have to leave. I have work to do with important people. One. No, you have to leave, dear. You're 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 done with your interview. Mm-hmm. You have to leave now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you're throwing me out. Yes, we're throwing you out. Uh huh. All right. Thank you very very much for throwing me out. You're welcome. You've not only disputed God's word and God's prophet. D- disputed God's word and God's prophet. Wow. Now you're throwing me out of the place. Yes. I say and you're supposed you, to wipe the dirt off your feet like I have God told the apostles. against you. Okay. Against you. And, and what you, said, your words. Say in a place you're not welcome. You move on to the next place, God You said. are throwing me out. Not not the, the company, not the channel. But <laughs> you are. Yeah, Vengeance, saith the Lord, is upon you. It's on me. And it's coming on you. Vengeance, saith the Lord. Apparently God's vengeance is going to break out against Fred for daring to go against the prophetess, Opal Covey. We're in red. It's the color of the, the Lord devil. Said, I don't know what I can tell you. The Lord said to give way to wrath, which I am giving way to wrath right now. All right. Your wrath, disputing God and His word, it's against God and it's not me. All right. Well, let's say give it way. Yeah. So notice here that um, she really believes she's hearing from God, and now that Fred's disputing God's word in the prophet, in the words of in the mouth of the prophetess uh, Opal Covey. Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, she's indignant. She can't believe that he would dare to go against God. But is she really hearing from God? I don't think so. But she's got the theology, right? I mean, you know, if you got these people claiming that they're hearing from God, if you go against what God is saying in them, well, then you're going against God. Let's Vengeance is way. coming up on Fred Lefebvre. Okay. All right. Let's give way this way. Mm-hmm. Now watch him throw me out. No, I'm not going to touch you. You just because no, I don't want to. No, you better not touch me. Oh, I wouldn't touch you. Don't worry. That's a different story. But that hatred is, is so much door. in your eyes. Here's the door. See you, Uncle. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I wipe the dust again off of my feet again. Well, you. that's why we put that that's extra rug there. Let people come in and pick that up every week and clean it. You will not be able to do this again to God's people. Right. To anybody in the name of the Lord, he shall remove you from these premises, right. saith the Lord, and I command take, it. Take all of those tongues and with you and go. Wow. Um, yeah, that's just absolutely frightening. Absolutely frightening. And the thing is, is that this theology that she's spewing here, this isn't some, you know, aberrant uh, you know, come out of you know left field type of theology. This is literally the logical consequence of the mainstream of what's going on in uh, in charismatic evangelicalism.
This woman has bought into it, you know, you know, hook, line, and sinker. Believes she's hearing from God, and and you know, the the word of the Lord has come to her to run for mayor of Toledo. And uh, you know, Fred Lefevre is shown her to be a complete nut job, and well, you know, now he's come against God. So, I mean, if he knew what was good for him, you know, he'd just get on board the Opal Covey uh, bandwagon and bow and bend the knee to the word of God and the prophetess Opal. Yeah, what a mess. Absolutely a mess. All right. Now, like I said, the uh, the uh, Church Watch Central folks, you can find this at churchwatchcentral.com. They have the Elijah List Challenge, the culprit in the pulpit. And they've now released 11 clues. And so, you know, you can sit there and, and, and work your way through this and s- see if you can figure out who the culprit in the pulpit is. I figured it out, by the way. I know exactly who it is, but I will not be revealing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I will say this. this The person, you know, who's, uh, who is the culprit in the pulpit has been featured here on fighting for the faith but that doesn't surprise me but there's a whole lot of people who haven't but um the uh, here here's a uh, clue number one uh, just for review uh this person is a false prophet uh clue two they say they've written a number of books clue three the person shares their personal visions and dreams in writing and in the pulpit clue four they plagiarize other people from the elijah list and around the internet and yes this person does do that this person is quite the plagiarist and like Obviously so. Um, and then clue number five is an elimination round where they actually went down through the uh, the baseball cards of the uh, false prophets and you know kind of put a mark on the ones who it ain't. So in order to uh, shorten the list. Clue six, they have toured many countries and spoken at many churches. This is most certainly true. Uh, they often preach at the prosperity gospel. This is absolutely true too. Um, clue eight, whisper, they see dead people. Oh, I have to whisper it. They see dead people. There, yeah, that was the clue. Um, clue nine, this this person is over 35 years old. Clue 10, uh, this person, uh, they have been racist in the pulpit. Uh, now, I haven't seen that. I'll just have to trust the uh, folks there at the, uh, at the uh, Church Watch Central regarding that. And clue 11, this person is still married. This person is still married. So there you, there you go. I mean, so you kind of got the idea here. That there, will, there will be more clues coming, and there are... Lovely pl- prizes available for the winners. Uh, the first five people who get the right answer will actually get a special uh, Fighting for the Faith t-shirt. This is most certainly true. And uh, like I said, I think we're working with them behind the scenes to see if we can actually announce the winner here at FightingForTheFaith.com. And, you know, uh, you know, on re- you know, uh, somewhere around Reformation Day, it'll be sometime in the early part of November. So keep that in mind. Now, uh, in, in honor of this, uh, there's a person that uh, I would like to introduce you to, and it's one of the people on the Elijah List Culprit in the Pulpit Challenge, and uh, and she's going to be speaking at one of the upcoming apostolic <laughs> conferences uh, in Australia in uh, in the weeks ahead, and her name is Lana Vazer. Lana Vazer, and uh, this is audio from her recent appearance at House Church Canada. And it's entitled, Papa's in the Process. Uh, here's the prophetess, Lana Vazer. Amen. Amen. Um, I was, uh, I was asking the Lord about what he wanted me to share tonight. 
What? <laughs> okay, so why would God the Holy Spirit give you a word to share rather than having a male pastor preach from the written word of God? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Now notice, she's claiming direct revelation from God. So by saying, I don't believe this is from God, I'm uh, apparently in their theology going against God. There's no reason to believe whatsoever that Lana Vazer has heard the word process from God uh, in preparation for her sermon at uh, House Church Canada, specifically due to the fact that God's word forbids her from doing what it is that she's doing, actually what you're hearing her do right now. It sounds like, you know, corporate, you know, kind of stuff, Fortune 500 policies and procedures and processes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Why would God tell you to speak that word? You didn't hear from God, did you, Lana? Yeah, boy, this is an exciting word from God. I mean, this is about as exciting as balancing your checkbook. <laughs> Woo, yeah, I'd rather watch paint dry. Uh, process with Papa. Mm hmm. Yeah. Again, I don't believe you're hearing any of this from God. I put you in the same category as Opal Covey. Uh huh. Really? He he said that. You sure that was God you were talking to, and you didn't actually dial the wrong number? Uh, hi, this is the Holy Spirit, and, uh, yeah, Lana, thanks for calling. Um, you know, we're in the middle of an audit up here in heaven, and, oh, man, we're, we're in fact, we're working through our policies and procedures, and, oh, what a nightmare. And you know, I know you need a title for your uh, upcoming speech out there at the uh, House Church Canada. And, um, so I think what we're going to do, yeah, here it is, um, yeah, here uh, Papa's in the the process. Yeah, Papa's in the process. Yeah, it's the best that I got right now, and I'm sorry, too busy to talk to you anymore. I, I got to get back to that audit. 
Uh, thanks for calling. Yeah, process with Papa. It's so, so yeah, powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, seriously, if I were to show up at church and somebody were to be preaching like this, I would stand up and say, you ain't hearing from God and I ain't staying here. You're a false prophet. And just, you know, and then leave, you know, let it be known that, None of this is from God. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's what you hear the Holy Spirit. Uh, one more thing there, Elena. Um, when you're in process, yeah, make sure you don't waste it. That, you know, it's really important stuff there. Yeah, making no effort whatsoever to actually uh, preach from the written word of God. No, she's exegeting what she believes is a direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, about the well, you know, the important doctrine of um, how God is in, you know, pro in the process, and uh, how you don't want to, you know, mess up and miss, you know, the important work that is happening in those processes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally a waste of time. They're not learning anything biblical. They're learning nothing about God or what it is that he really is about. And all in the name of direct revelation and uh, the so-called charismatic gifts. Yeah. Excuse me, but uh, I'll just go with Sola Scriptura. Thank you. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have an Eric Dykstra update. And, uh, yeah, he's teaching magic and uh, as well as a Kong He update. Don't want to miss him. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Who are you that you would disrupt our worship of our most holy Lord Jesus Christ? What? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Time travel has a weird way of messing with my eardrums. I asked you who you were. What is this about time travel? Uh, Oh yeah, about that. What year is this? He doesn't seem too bright, does he? Silence. The year is 65 AD, and I ask you once again, who are you? The name is Haas, Peter Haas. I see. Would you kindly leave our presence so that we can continue with the Lord's Supper? Oh yeah, sure. I'll be out of your hair and... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you, did you say Lord's Supper? Told you he wasn't bright. Silence! Yes, I did say Lord's Supper. And this is in fact 65 AD? Again, yes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense? Well, I guess it would make sense that I would stumble into a house of Pharisees. Excuse me? Well, yeah. It's common knowledge that communion was never meant to be part of a church service. I don't follow. Well, you see, it's stuff like communion and expository Bible teaching that gets in the way of people really experiencing Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, but are you a Gnostic? No, I'm a pastor. That doesn't answer the question. But I'm a pastor. Well, Pastor Haas, it seems as though you have your facts wrong. During services, like the one before you, we as a congregation worship Jesus Christ and receive his gifts of forgiveness and mercy. What more is there to want? Oh, I get it. You're all a bunch of Judaizers. Uh, we're Gentiles. None of us here are Jewish. Well, um, uh, at least you guys don't use music in church. I don't know what devilry has bewitched your senses. We always sing hymns and psalms during the service. Hey, that's the best part of the church until the 1700s. Not as sharp as a soggy pancake, that one is. I'm beginning to agree with you. Are we to believe that... You're a pastor? Uh, duh! Well, you're easily one of two things. You're either one, a heretic hell-bent on destroying Christianity with your vile filth, or you're simply a buffoon who is having delusions of grandeur. You're just a hater! Oh, but am I? You claim to be a pastor in the service of Jesus Christ, and yet you seem to know nothing of our early church history or of the means of grace so blatantly set forth by Jesus and his disciples? Uh, well, uh... Where'd you get your seminarian degree from? <laughs> DeVry. Silence! No, Cassius, I believe that school, as poor as it is in its educational content, would have at least taught him something. How do you ever expect to experience Jesus if you're just a bunch of closed-minded Enough. and- Enough! We've had our fill of your empty words. You obviously know nothing about the way and they're hereby expelled from our midst. But I'm published! Any lump of flesh with half a pulse can vomit meaningless words onto parchment. It's the substance of the words that makes the difference and are what's important. 
Your lack of knowledge is astounding. Now again, leave. Who do you think you are that you can boss me around? I'm a vision-casting leader in the church of the 21st century. This is a Christian church of Berea. I think I can speak for all witnesses here that you are not worthy of the title of pastor. I wouldn't even hire you for a stable boy. Now get out of the church, you wolf in sheep's clothing. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all those people out there claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God and, and, you know, prophets, prophetesses, vision-casting leaders, that they're not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And just a reminder that we're in the middle of our fall bake sale to help us make budget, to help us afford the uh, 
expansion of our ministry, if you would, uh, via upgrading our website and other things. And so if you haven't already picked up your copy of our T-shirt for this year, the uh, I Survived the Four Blood Moons in the Shemitah and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the bake sale link up at the top of the page. And to get your copy of our T-shirt for this year, of course, we're also making available the conference audio uh, from the 2015 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Uh, If you'd like to uh, purchase that and listen to that, you can do that as well. Other items are available there to all help us make budget. And again, like I said, let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. It's a lot. Yeah, time for uh, Eric Dykstra update. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like Pastor and servant. Pastor and servant. Servant. We call it pastor and servant. All right, that's Depeche Mode in our uh, version of it, Pastor and Servant. So uh, what we're going to be listening to is the uh, first few minutes, if you would, of um, Eric Dykstra's latest sermon just preached this past Sunday entitled The Power of I Am. Uh, ironically, that's the uh, name of the... Um, New book put out by Joel Osteen. And after uh, about six to seven minutes of listening to the sermon, you're going to be pretty much convinced like I am that Eric Dykstra teaches magic, not biblical doctrine, but magic. Here is Eric Dykstra to explain to us the power of I am. Here we go. Oh, man. We're going to have so much fun. This, This particular conversation we're about ready to have is great to me. And do you notice my hair is different? I don't like change. Or I do like change. Sorry. Like I get really bored with stuff. So this morning I woke up and she was like, Kelly, I don't like coming to comb my hair. Cut it all off. And so she just cut it all off. Like I just, I'm different. Tonight, tonight I want to have a conversation with you about uh, why we do some ritual things. Like, because I don't even like ritual. I'm, I don't like... Yeah, the ritual things where they have these affirmations that they say at the crossing church. Similar to, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Yeah, they do something very similar there. I, I, I love changes. So, like, I don't like ritual. So, we do the same... Not much we do around here that's the same, but we do the same thing. I am deeply loved and highly favored, greatly blessed and totally right. Why do we do that? Every week at church. Why would we do the same six statements over and over and over and over? Why do we do this to infinity? It's a fair question. Look at the person next to you and say, why do we do this? <laughs> We're going to have a conversation with you tonight about why it is that we have those six I am statements. And there's, the answer is really, 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 really this statement right here. There is power in our I am. Look at the person next to you and say, there's power in our I ams. Uh, what? Where in the Bible... Does it say there's power in our I am's? And he's not talking about Jesus, the I am. We already covered that a couple of days ago, that uh, I am is the name that God has revealed himself 
uh, with. Yeah, it's there in Exodus. Jesus uses it for himself before Abraham was. I am. Yeah, um, but he's not talking about that. No, he's talking about apparently when we say statements about I am, you know, that uh, that that has power. But there's no biblical text that says this. Not even one. And when we have a conversation about these I am's, you're going to understand how there's power in the I am's. Can we talk about this church? Awesome. You may be seated. Now, as soon as we said, can you get the note sheet out that we gave you today? Hold it. Get it out. Hold it up for me. Make sure you got one of those. Cool. Like all the different note sheets that are around here, all the place. Sweet. So uh, like, here's the thing. Uh, We spend a lot of time with a bunch of statements that we don't really understand what they are about and why we have them and what's the point of them. And so we're really spending two weeks on this power of I am. Everybody say, but I am is awesome. awesome. Uh, Look at the person next to you and say, there's some significant power in your I am's. Now, why would we say that? And it's real simple. We say that because every I am is the engine. I'm going to say and, and it's an engine. So, for example, you look at this train, for, a train up here for a second. And uh, my, my grandfather loved trains. And so he used to take me when I was a kid down to look at the tracks and watch the trains like switch cars and all this kind of stuff. But this train is taking a set of cards to a destination. Would you agree with that? That's what train engines do. They take a set of cards to a, de- uh, cars to a destination. Here's the truth. That your I am is an engine. No, that's not the truth because nowhere in the Bible does it say that my I am is, a, is an engine. You've just put a photograph of a picture of a, of a train, you know, and there's the engine and it's pulling some cars. And then you've just, you know, put a caption at the bottom of it and says, I am is the engine of our lives. Yeah, just because you can use PowerPoint doesn't mean that what you're saying is true. In order for this to be true, you have to literally point me to biblical texts that say this in context without twisting God's word. And it is taking your life to some sort of destination. So if you say stuff like, hey, you know what? I am stupid. The train just left station for stupidville uh-huh right now if this theology is true then we have a problem with this song oh i'd love to be an after my i mean after all i mean <laughs> you know you sing that song, you know, you want to be an Oscar Mayer wiener, you, you know what's going to happen. Because, I mean, as soon as you say that, well, the train has departed for Wienerville. We continue. Right? Because you decided to get on the I am stupid train. <laughs> you decided to do that. If you say, man, I am struggling, you're now headed for Struggleville. Because you decide. Really, what if I'm? My words are describing a current state that I am in. Why would I be heading for Struggleville if what I'm describing is where I is? To take your life to that destination. Everybody say I am is powerful. So, for example, let's go negative. Everybody say let's go negative. If you say I am weak, what's going to happen to you next? Weakness. You're going to walk. And he just said it, though. You know, he just said I am weak. Oh, he's heading towards weakness because he said it. I'm weak because you decided that you're weak. If you say, I am poor, what happens? 
poverty follows you around. And it doesn't make a difference if you have a million dollars in your checkbook. You're still walking around saying, I am poor. Where does the Bible teach this? Answer, nowhere. This is not biblical doctrine. This is magic. And you feel like you're poor no matter what's actually in the bank. Because you say, I am poor. If you say, I am offended. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe he did that. People are offended at a lot of stuff, aren't they? Yeah. If you say, I am offended, you will always find somebody to be PO'd at. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's just the nature of the deal because you said, I am offended. If you say, I am depressed, do you get high? Uh, what? What? <laughs> if, you say, if you say, I am depressed, do you get happier? Yes or no? Anybody ever go, ooh, I am really depressed. Woo! I'm so happy now. No, the second you say, I am depressed, where does your life go? Yeah, there's all these people out there who are suffering from depression. And who knew? It was because they said those fateful words, I am depressed. If only they would just say, I am happy, then they would no longer be depressed. What is this? There's nothing biblical about this. Notice he's not actually preaching a biblical text. This is just magic. This is some kind of weird magical worldview. What you say creates reality. You're like broken over here in Depressville. Ugh, can't get out of bed, can't function, because you decided to say, I am depressed. Do you know why we make statements like this? Because we base our life on our feelings rather than our faith. So when you- uh, What are you talking about? Uh, you say that they say these things because they're basing that on their feelings, not their faith. Uh, the Christian faith doesn't teach what you're teaching, sir. Feel depressed. You say, I am. I'm what? Depressed. And then you end up in Depressville. Because you're basing your life on feelings. But if you would base your life on faith, your life could be elevated instead of sink. What are you talking about? Faith is trust in someone or something. So the question is, whom am I trusting in? Time that you, you, I mean, think about it like this. Joel chapter 3 verse 10 says, let the weak stay, I am. Does it say? Oh, totally out of context. Joel chapter 3 does not teach that the, your I am statements create reality. Weak say I'm really weak. No, because that's not faith. The very nature of faith is to say, even though the circumstances look bad and I feel depressed, weak, lousy, miserable, I know that God is for me, not against me. So I'm never going to say I am weak. In fact, I will say I am strong. And all of a sudden, what happens to you? Strength happens to you. Let's go positive. So it's all you have to do is say, I am strong and strength happens to you. I mean, this, is, this would be the secret for weight loss. All you have to do is say to yourself, I am thin and thinness will come your way. It'll happen to you. Yeah, again, this is magic, not Christian or biblical doctrine. So use the same statements again. I am strong. What happens next? Strength follows you. Strength happens to your to yourself. If you say, I am prosperous, does that mean there's necessarily more money in your bank account? No, but you feel better about it. Agree with that statement? It's because you just... No, I don't. Why are you basically instructing these people in something the Bible doesn't teach? I did. 
to elevate your life regardless of your circumstances. I am prosperous. It's going to lead to more prosperity. You say, I am forgiving. What happens to you? On the other hand, you say, I'm really trying to forgive. Does it work? No, because you decided that you can't forgive, so you said, I'm trying to. And so you live in frustration and anger. But if you get up every day and say, I am forgiving, what starts to happen with your life? It moves towards forgiveness because you said that's who you are. If you say, this is utter nonsense. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul warns about, so-called plausible sounding arguments. But this is not biblical doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach this. Joyful, do you get sad? If you say, I'm trying to be happy, what happens next? Nothing good. (laughs) Because you've decided that you're unhappy, so you're saying, I'm trying to be happy. And you can't change yourself. But if you say, I am happy, even when the circumstances look rough, what starts to happen to your spirit? It starts to get elevated. It starts to move in a positive direction. There's some real huge power in those I am words. No, there isn't. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach us the power of I am words in in reference to yourself. Scripture does teach us the power of the I am who is God, who is Jesus. And this is just utter and total nonsense. And like I said, it is, well, magic. It is not Christian doctrine. In fact, I would say this. In fact, here's a good way to think about people who preach and teach like this. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's right. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that false doctrine and magic stuff. Not when they're supposed to be going to church and learning and hearing God's word rightly taught. Moving along. Time for a City Harvest Church update. God woke desires deep down in my heart. Could the culture mandic make me a star? My husband, Pastor Kong, taught with A.R. Bernard. I could be a gospel if I worked real hard. Cause I'm married to Kongi, get church to find me. I dance like a monkey while he throws church money at me. All the church money at me. To finance my jingle, we get us to tingle from people like Pringle to sting all church pockets for me. Church pockets for me. We're Kong He and Son Ho. Turn church into a show. Now everybody knows that all the church funds flow to me. Me, 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 me. I am so sexy. Me, 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 me
out of my way And God give Kong a vision So just do as we say I'll get the cash from my husband's lies You better keep on giving till Tears stream down your eyes Willie or Kenny try stay out of Changi It won't be uncanny when he takes a stand from me I still need the money from me Don't you berate me I am truly great to your kids It may take me my hip to be free for Kong He Sue all the ones that hate me Question what we know. We're Kong Hee and Sun Ho. We're bringing Jesus low. We make God's word a joke and make church all a show about me, 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 me. me. Who can challenge me? Join me on the compromise. I will rise on your tides. Say yeah, 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 yeah. It's so easy. See, that's your problem right there. You're too critical. I'm just trying to have fun. Stop questioning so much. And just follow me and come here. The church has bought all my unsold tunes Our lies exposed by Mr. Roland Poon And now my stardom has gone out with a bang Thanks to all the critics and chewing hen Now my career is gone gone. Seen by all as a con con. Jesus cannot go on Too fancy free. Too fancy free. Too fancy free. Too fancy free. It's all for me. It's all for me. It's all for me. Yeah, that's right. That's our uh, Kong Hee and Sun Ho update music, Fancy Free. So we're going to, well, in honor of the upcoming um, verdict that will be um, given... Uh, next week, by the way, um, you know, Kong, he, I mean, really, truly faces a lot of time in prison. And it's absolutely tragic that that's that it's come to this. And what I mean by that is that the church has not done its job of casting out and repudiating and rebuking false teachers like Kong, he. And as a result of that, the job of disciplining aberrant teachers who are teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach, those who are absolutely exploiting the people of God and doing all kinds of monkey business with the church funds like Kong Hee has done. Um, who Who is left now to discipline these people? Answer, the state. 
The state is who's left to do it. And the church had been, has, should have been doing this all along. And there should have been a united front against men like Kong Hee as well as others like him around the world. And basically say, they're not teaching the truth. We're not going to uh, be remain silent and have basically Christianity rise up and revolt against men like this. But because they haven't, and they've been able to exploit people, now the state's stepping in and he's probably going to go to jail. And, and I'll be blunt. I hope he does for his sake. Because once he does go to jail, he won't have any pretenses to defend anymore. And maybe, just maybe, this rebuke, this discipline will bring him to repentance and he can, be, he can repent and be forgiven for all the nonsense that he's engaged in. But uh, we're going to go back through, the, you know, through a few uh, Kung Hee um, sound bites and uh, remember what he's taught over the years. And there's, these are out of context without any particular order, but they kind of make a point as to where he's been. Here's uh, Kung Hee. So to move on to God's best for your life, you need to step out of the natural realm and step into the realm of the spirit. Step into the eternal realm. Step out of the natural realm and into the, yeah. How exactly do you do that, Kong? Step into the realm of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 is saying. What you can see in the natural is inferior to what you can visualize and imagine in the spiritual. All right, that's one soundbite. Here's another. All throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, you'll find that the more you walk with God, the more God wants to prosper you. And that- uh, So the more you walk with God, the more God wants to prosper you financially. What do you say to those uh, Syrian Christians who are now refugees, who've watched members of their families literally destroyed? by war and, you know, through uh, Muslim factions and, you know, those Christians who are being martyred by ISIS. What do you say to those people? Thinking got to saturate your mind as a believer. And that is why again and again, I have testimonies on this stage because I want you to have this mindset. You may be poor today, but when you follow Jesus Christ, you'll not be poor all your life. Oh, come on. You believe that. Get the Lord. <laughs> You will you follow Jesus. You won't be poor all your life. Yeah, that's true. Especially if you take eternity into effect, you may be poor. You know this in this life. It's true. And again, I I I always point people to this passage. You know where Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that poor Lazarus. He had sores. He was penniless. Had to beg for food, and he ends up in in well heaven. And the rich man doesn't even have a name, and he ends up in hell. And he was very prosperous, yeah. And Lazarus was so poor, he longed to eat the crumbs that fell off the table of the rich man. Yeah, and, and yet it's Lazarus who ends up in heaven. The rich man ends up in hell. You have heard me say this many times over the years. We did not start off wanting to build the largest church in Southeast Asia. Our goal was simply to become one of the most spiritually mature churches in this whole region. But for that to happen, we have to become one of the most generous giving churches in this, in this place. And friends, City Harvest Church may not be a church for everybody. It's a church for the committed. 
It's a church for those people that are passionate for the cause of the kingdom. So we make no apologies about it. You know, we are who we are by the grace of God. We can't help ourselves. Yes, we've been giving in the past. We've been giving in the present. And let me tell you, we'll always be giving because we want to be like Jesus. That's who we are. Oh, somebody. We want to be giving because we always want to be like Jesus. Yeah. You know, $340 million is a lot of money to pay for a building. Give the Lord a big hand. We love helping others, helping the community, helping the poor, the disabled, the neglected, helping those who can't help themselves. It doesn't matter whatever the world may say. Because the truth of the matter is, we want to be like God. God is a giver. He loves us so much. He gave His only Son for us. So we want to be like Him. We want to be the most giving church in the land. Oh, come on, give the Lord a... So now we're using the gospel. Yeah. God so loved the world that He gave. Yeah, so we want to be just like God, so we're going to give money to City Harvest Church. Yeah, Jesus was not God's tithe. We got a problem here. And here's the next soundbite. So we have to honor God in the same way, by our liberal, generous giving. What we give every week is the measure of the value that you place on your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So if you don't give a lot, then you don't value Jesus. That's what he's saying. You see, we can lift our hands to worship God. But if the tithes are still in our pocket, then due tribute has not been given. Then our praises are empty. Our words are empty. Your praises are empty unless you're writing big checks to City Harvest Church. There is no value to back it up. Right, because he, listen, he's got a very expensive secular recording career for his wife to support and fund. And so you'd better write a big check. Uh huh. Notice he's not actually teaching a biblical concept here. He's just manipulating these people for money. You know, in every country, we have currencies. We have dollar notes. Every dollar note must be backed up by gold in the central bank. It got to be backed up by the reserve in, the, in, in, in our national treasury. Well, the Bible teaches us that faith is the currency of heaven. Our praises, our worship... Our faith proclamations must be backed up by our giving. Uh, Otherwise, our praises are empty. Oh, I see. So just like currency, apparently, in Singapore, they're on the gold standard. Who knew? I didn't know anybody, any nation was still on the gold standard. But, hey, just like, you know, in the past, you know, here in the U.S., uh, our currency used to be backed up with gold. Um, <laughs> you know, I say that like that because I think it's important. But, uh, yeah, so at one point it was on the gold standard. But... So, you know, in the, you know, if so the money, the paper money has to be backed up with gold. Your praises are like, well, currency that isn't backed up with gold unless of course you're backing it up with gold, you know, and write your che- make your check payable to City Harvest Church care of Sun Ho's uh musical recording career and here's our last one. Here we go. Who wants to be a volunteer? Okay, praise God. (laughs) Yeah, just be a volunteer for me, okay? Now, maybe, how about you stand here? Will you stand here? Now, Leo 6, 38, give and shall be given. Now, this is $2. If you give me, give and it shall be given back to you. 
I mean, how many of you know? That's not going to make him very rich. Okay, let's try that one more time. Give and be given back to you. Give. All right. Press down, shaken together, running over. I give this to you plus this. Hallelujah. Okay, I mean, you look very, you're easily satisfied. Go, $4. Wow. Man, I, I know how much to give to your kid right now for the ampau. <laughs> but the Bible says this. The Bible says, okay, give, and it shall be given back to you. Now watch. Given back to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. 29, 34. Right? 34. Oops. 64. 100 fold. Now, how many of you know that is better than give and it shall be given back to you? Well, come on, let's give Willie a big clap. Praise God. So basically, he's saying that, hey, you give uh, money to City Harvest Church. For every dollar you give, you'll receive back from God 30, 60, and 100 fold. And scripture doesn't teach that either. Yeah, giving in order to get from God is not really giving. Now, is it? Yeah, that's that's something completely different altogether. Now, that's just to kind of set the stage, if you would. We're going to uh, take a break, and uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to listen to a, a sermon from Kong Hee. Yeah, about the time of the Sun Ho thing, where he literally gives nine reasons why Jesus wasn't poor, and it is absolutely abom- an abomination. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Follow me on Facebook or Twitter. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. 
But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. And like I said at the beginning of the program, this is going to be in two pieces. The opening part of it will be good audio, and then we got to switch to a bootleg version of it so that we can actually... Uh, hear what Kong He said because this is absolutely despicable and duplicitous. Let's do this right though. Bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City Harvest Church out there in Singapore, and it's uh, Kong He presiding. The name of it is Was Jesus Poor? Was Jesus Poor? And this will include nine reasons why Jesus wasn't poor. In fact, Jesus apparently was loaded, according to Kong He. Yeah, no joke. Uh, it's going to be an absolute train wreck that we'll be listening to. I think you've got the gist of it, so let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Kong He and his sermon entitled, Was Jesus Poor? Here we go. Take out your Bibles right now tonight. Say, this is my Bible. Everybody says, I am. I have what it says, I have. That's Joel Osteen's creed, really? I can't be what it says, I can't be. This is the word of God. It will change my life. Give the Lord a wave and shout a little bit. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 15 right now. Matthew chapter 15. Oh, hallelujah. Last Christmas on December 25, 2009, CNN ran a story that really intrigued me that I kind of cut and paste and copied it into my folder on my laptop. 
And I know that I'm going to bring it up in one of our services. It was on this. Passions over prosperity gospel. Was Jesus wealthy? Was Jesus rich? So it studies those who believe that Jesus was rich and also those who believe Jesus was poor. So do we have a poor God or a rich God, a poor Savior or a rich Savior? But the CNN reported that congregations that believe Jesus was rich have built mega churches, have global ministries to help the poor and needy and spread the gospel. And churches that believe Jesus was poor have not done all that to that kind of extent. CNN then reports that this concept of Jesus being poor is often the traditional depictions of Jesus Christ. Now, very interesting. They talk about tradition. Tonight, I want to to look with you at what the Bible says concerning the traditions of man. I want you to look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Everybody say tradition. Now look at verse 6. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So in life, there are good traditions and there are bad traditions. But there are certain bad traditions that can cancel out the blessings of God into our lives. And that Jesus makes it very clear. He says, certain traditions of man can make the word of God of no effect. Now, as Christians, we then got to be very careful not to let our minds be filled by wrong traditional teaching. Because as a man thinks, so is he. As a woman thinks, so is he. You will always have what you believe in your mind, in your heart. If you be- now notice, he's making an argument against traditions of men from a text where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for making the word of God void by their man-made traditions, teaching as commandments the traditions of men. And yet he just twisted one of the Proverbs. As a man thinketh, so is he. That's not what this text is saying. Um, yeah, we've got a major problem here. Now, as we go through this uh, sermon, we're, we're going to take a look at some biblical text. Was Jesus rich? We're going to look at clear biblical evidence regarding this. Now, by the way, where was Jesus born? Palace or in a barn? Yeah, he was born in a stable, by the way. So um, that's is you know that's not wealthy, rich. Now, is he? When Jesus um, was presented at the temple, and the uh, and um, and his parents, uh, you know, brought a sacrifice with them, was the sacrifice indicative of them being wealthy or of them being poor? This is an important, uh, this you know, a majorly important uh, thing to consider here, uh, because uh, Scripture is very clear on this that uh, that uh, the parents of Jesus, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph, that they couldn't afford, they could not afford uh, a, uh, you know, the, the sacrifice of somebody who was wealthy. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. 
When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And what did they offer? A pair of turtle doves and, or two pigeons. They couldn't afford the other kind of sacrifice. That's how poor Jesus's parents were. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of throw in some data here along the way. So who's teaching the traditions of men? Kong He is. Those who believe what Scripture says about Jesus, that he was not a wealthy man, they aren't believing traditions of men. They're believing what Scripture teaches. If Jesus is your Savior, you can be saved. If you believe Jesus is your healer, healing is yours. If you believe Jesus isn't poor, then just like the testimony that you heard just now, you're able to break through out of poverty. Ah, see, notice that this is the same theology as Eric Dykstra. This is magic I am stuff. If you believe Jesus is your healer, well, then you can be healed. If you believe Jesus wasn't poor, then Jesus can make you rich. Really? Come into God's abundance. And, and, and keep in mind the time frame here. This is 2010. This is in the thick of what's going on with uh, all of the you know diverting of church funds that were for a building for the building project um you know buying SunTech and uh, and uh, Sun Ho was off doing her thing you know, or at least preparing to do so I mean you know, weird we got bad teaching on money at the same time that they're engaging in funny business with the church's money prosperity you will always end up always you will end up the way you choose to believe now one wrong tradition that's been perpetrated and handed down through the centuries is this idea that the poorer you are the holier you are you know so yeah i don't know anybody who teaches that i not even the bible teaches that I mean, there's was it which proverb is it that talks about uh, don't don't make me so wealthy that I don't depend upon you, or so poor that I despise you, Lord. Yeah, give us this day our daily bread is our prayer in the Lord's prayer. You always have to proverbial as poor as a church mouse, you know, because even the mouse in the church is poor. So anyone who is holy got to be poor. Somehow poverty is good. Their wealth is bad. So if we see a Christian who loves God, loves the word, and serves actively in the church, but he or she wears nice clothes, or have an expensive watch, or eats out at a nice restaurant, or drives a big fancy car out there in the parking lot, or live in a nice house, or go for expensive holiday, we can become... This sounds like he's basically trying to justify his lifestyle, which is unjustifiable. Critical. We can catch ourselves being cynical. Or maybe, you know, this person isn't so holy after all. Because there is this nagging frustration, nagging suspicion that, you know, maybe this person is not walking right with God. Because deep down in our heart, you know, there is this, this idea, this traditional mindset that we've been indoctrinated. If you are godly, you shouldn't be rich. Only people who are money-faced. Yeah, it's just that scripture and Jesus himself 
makes it very clear, very difficult for a wealthy person to be saved. People who love money, they end up being wealthy. And people who wear expensive things or own expensive possessions, they are materialistic. They are worldly. They are ungodly people. And we get even more upset when we see church leaders and elders in the church, in the house of God, climbing up the ladder of economic success. The only problem you have here is this. When we study the Bible and we read of the heroes of faith, most of them were very wealthy. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Isaac was the richest in his generation. So rich, the Philistines envied him. Jacob was extreme. Yeah, this is historically true. That doesn't mean there's a promise that all people who are Christians are going to be wealthy like Abraham and Isaac. Extremely prosperous. David was so prosperous and wealthy, I told you a few weeks ago, he personally donated more than 50 billion US dollars worth of gold, not counting the silver and all the precious things, to build God a house. Solomon was the richest king on the earth, the Bible says. Job was the richest man in the east. Isaiah the prophet came from a wealthy family. In the gospel, Joseph of Arimathea, I mean, the person whom Jesus' body was buried in, he was a very wealthy man. But most of all, our God is a super wealthy... Yeah, notice here, um, Jesus was <laughs> laid in the tomb of a rich man. What does that tell you? Jesus couldn't afford his own tomb. If his family was wealthy, if Jesus were independently wealthy, he would have been able to afford his own tomb. Yeah, instead, yeah, uh, uh, he was laid in the tomb of a rich man. Yeah, weird. We continue. God, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the silver and gold in the world are his. Our God is a rich God. Oh, come on, you want to clap? Give the Lord a big clap. Every sociologist in the world will tell you about the evil effects of poverty. That is why any government that is good and worthy of its thought will try to get their people out of poverty. In the United Nations, you have entire committees committed to get nations out of poverty. The Encarta Encyclopedia gives us nine results of poverty. Number one, poverty causes malnutrition and starvation. Number two, poverty causes sicknesses and health problems. Number three, poverty causes the increase of infant mortality rates. I mean, babies die young. Number four, poverty lower life expectancies. Number five, poverty causes mental illnesses and drug abuses. Number six, poverty causes depression. Number seven, poverty increases the crime and the violence. I can tell you, nine out of ten people that commit crime in Singapore tonight is not committing because they are rich, but because they are poor. Because they're in debt. Because they're struggling. Our children who grow up in poorer households generally don't do as well in their studies as those in richer families. Number nine, poverty causes higher tendency of divorce. Than yeah, I don't know anybody defending poverty, but the thing is, is that Jesus was not rich. Matthew 18, 
verse, uh, sorry, Matthew 8, verses 19 and 20. Scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Does that sound like the statement of somebody who's uh, wealthy? We continue. Encyclopedia ends up by saying, poverty is a learned mindset. You learn it, and it keeps people from getting out of it. It is a trap. And once you let this kind of mindset, the holier I am, the poorer I should be, then you will never get out of debt. You will never get out of dependency. You will never have financial freedom. And Jesus says, these traditions of man can cancel out and make the word of God of no effect. A poverty mindset will... Again, nobody is advocating a poverty mindset. But what you're advocating is something that Jesus speaks explicitly against. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And he said, yeah, right. And so Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, all right, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven now, and then come follow me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently Jesus wanted this wealthy man to stop worshiping his money. Get rid of his idol, which is money. And, And so, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, See, well, we've left everything and we followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Does it sound like Jesus is advocating a a wealth prosperity mindset? He's saying that those who have who are rich, very difficult for them to be saved because m- money is their god. And notice Peter, we've left everything. We've left everything. Jesus says, "Foxes have holes. I got no place to lay my head." Does Jesus sound like a a wealthy man to you promoting a prosperity mindset? Huh, hardly. Stop the prosperity of God from coming to you. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says this, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, 
Now, it's not just talking about, you know, being rich in your emotion or being rich in your eternal life. It's talking about accumulating great possessions. The blessings of God makes one rich. How many of you like to be blessed by God? Lift up your hands, right? Well, God's blessing makes you rich. And look at what the rest of the verse says. And he adds no sorrows or no sorrow with it. In other words, you can be rich and be happy at the same time. You can be wealthy and spiritual at the same time. Deuteronomy 28, verse 43 to 45. It says, foreigners living among you shall become richer and richer. Yeah, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, For the, uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Interesting. We continue. All you become poorer and poorer. Now, that's not good. They shall lend to you and not you to them. They shall be the head and you shall be the tail. All these curses shall pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. All because you refuse to listen to the Lord your God. Now, look at the verse. Now, what are curses? Being poor. Always borrowing. Being the tail. You know, and all these poverty curses will destroy you. So just so you got to be clear, God is a good God. Satan is a bad devil. That poverty is a curse. Prosperity is a blessing. You got to be very clear about this. Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Because otherwise you cannot live a very confused, conflicted life. The idea of a Jesus who is so poor that he was a destitute had been repeated so often that many people, including Christians, accept it as a gospel truth. But if you study the Bible very carefully and objectively, and tonight I want you to be objective. Just look at what the Word of God says. You will realize Jesus was never poor in all his 33 and a half years of earthly ministry. You say, hey Kong, what about the night that Jesus Christ was born? Wasn't he born in a smelly, dirty stable? Yes, he was. Now, from here, we're going to switch over to our bootleg copy because from this point in the sermon on, Kong He is literally going to basically give us the nine reasons that Jesus wasn't poor. Because remember, apparently, you know, it's, it's those churches that believe in a tradition that Jesus was poor, that, oh, that's terrible. You can't believe Jesus was poor, even though I just read a text that said he was poor. Several, in fact. But, uh, you know, again, I apologize for the low quality of the audio here. This is a bootleg copy. I've tr- done what we can to clean it up. So uh, let's continue now with this sermon, and you are going to see where this thing goes off the rails. Here we go. Nine Bible reasons why you can know Jesus was never poor. Number one, as a baby, Jesus was showered with great treasures. As a baby when he was born, he was showered with great treasures. So because Jesus was showered with great treasures as a baby, 
Yeah, the the uh, the wise men brought him, you know, gifts of gold, frankincense, of myrrh. Um, yet, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Jesus's father, the carpenter, they lived in Nazareth. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to show you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. So I want you to be very objective tonight and look at what the Bible says. Matthew 2 and verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the wise men have seen the star in the east. They have come to worship the newborn king of the world. Now, we have seen Christmas dramas where the three wise men bring cute little boxes of gifts to baby Jesus. And we sit there wondering, I wonder what's in those cute little boxes. Lollipops? Candy sweets? Maybe NTUC gift vouchers. But let me tell you what the Bible says. When they open their treasures, they present the gifts to him, gold, silver, frankincense, and myrrh. They open up their treasures. Now, this was how people in ancient times present their tribute to a newborn king. You see, when a king is being born, he's being put in public display at the palace court. And all the ambassadors from the neighboring nation, the smaller states, they must come and offer tributes. Now, if the gifts they bring is deemed unbefitting of the status of the king, they will be killed. And armies will be sent to attack the nation from which the ambassadors have come from. Oh, so yeah, well, yeah, Herod would have sent troops to, uh, you know, basically annihilate any kingdom that wasn't sending the proper tribute to, you know, to Jesus, recognizing that he was a king. This proves that uh, Jesus was just lavished with huge quantities, you know, treasure chests, if you would, full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, I mean, basically, Mary and Joseph, they were set, you know, after the visit of the Magi. Yet the scripture doesn't say that. It doesn't say how much they were given. And, um, yeah, in fact, there's no indication whatsoever that they were given so much that they were set for life. It's not like, you know, first thing they did was go and deposit the gold at, you know, Zion National Bank, you know, so they can get interest. I mean, this is unbelievable what this man is doing. And again, keep in mind, he's basically engaging in self-justification for the unjustifiable because uh, the, the Sun Ho thing is in full swing when he's preaching this. So, when the wise men came to worship baby Jesus, they brought huge treasures of gold. They brought huge treasures of frankincense. They brought huge treasure chests. Yeah, the text doesn't say that. Of pearls. Now, William's translation say they brought the treasure sacks. Amplified Bible talks of the treasure bags. Mark's translation say they brought your store of treasures. Can you imagine the whole store? Jesus was rich from the day he was born. So apparently Jesus was really well-to-do from the day he was born. Yet he himself said that he had nowhere to lay his head. Um, he, he, listen to this. Does this sound like the behavior of a very wealthy person, a man wealthy from the day he was born? Matthew chapter 17, verse 24 
Uh, when they came to Capernaum, the collect- collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, well, yes. And when he came into uh, into the house, Jesus spoke with him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, well, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> paid his taxes. Basically, he didn't say, "Hey, just you know, go grab some out of our treasury." You know, you know. Let me go to the bank real quick. You know, remember all that gold I got when I was a baby? <laughs> yeah. No, Jesus didn't have like anything. So it's like you know. Miraculous, he had to commission a fish to go find a shekel at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Hi-yi-yi, this, this man is just engaging in all kinds of wickedness and evil. Number three, Jesus was able to pay for his entire ministry team. You see, we have a big traveling ministry. Jesus was able to pay for his entire ministry team. He wasn't even able to pay for the two drachma tax without commissioning a fish to bring up a coin from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He was a responsible savior. He was a responsible master. So he provided for all his team. Now, and you must remember in those days, they didn't just travel by plane. I mean, one person just go and the family can stay home. If they travel, they go for weeks and months. So the whole family, all their wives... All the children of the twelve, they went along. And remember, it's not just the twelve. Jesus also had the seventy following him. So we are talking fifty, seventy, a hundred people maybe traveling with Jesus. Now look at Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 1. What did Jesus instruct them? Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to count diseases and send them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, now most Christian organizations today will say, you raise your own money, okay? You know, I mean, we have no money to support you. But what did Jesus say? Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. So Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm going to provide for all your needs. You just come and serve together with me. So Jesus over here, you know, took care of all of them. Yeah, that text doesn't say that Jesus took care of them. In fact, that text explicitly states that they are to receive their, you know, their food and lodging from the people that they're preaching to. Let me read the text to you. Let me read the text to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 5. Here's what it says. Uh, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons you receive without paying, uh, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two, tun- or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Jesus didn't provide for them. 
they went with nothing and with the idea the laborer deserves his food. They were going to basically live off of the people they were serving. And whatever town or village you enter, find the one who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it's not worthy, let your peace return. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. There you go. There, so there's the idea. This text isn't teaching that Jesus provided for their needs on this mission. No, they are the laborer deserves his pay. Yeah, they were to take nothing and live off of the people they were ministering to. That's what Jesus said. It doesn't say that Jesus provided for them, of, of course, out of the vast abundance of gold that he had from, you know, <laughs> from the uh, wise men. Oh, man, this is terrible. Verse 51. And verse 52. I want to show you how sophisticated this organization was. It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, before Jesus go to a city, before Jesus went to the city, very often he was sent an advanced team to prepare the lodging, to prepare the events, to prepare the transportation, to prepare all the food. You see, Jesus doesn't go into town and hope for the best. No, so it's a very sophisticated, very organized ministry. Now go with me to Luke 22 right now, to the end of Luke. And I want to show you how he provided for all their needs. Luke 22 and verse 35. Hallelujah. Luke 22 verse 35. And he said to them, When I send you with a money bag, sack, and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. What a wonderful boss he is. What a wonderful boss he was. You know, when he sent out the people to do the job, he provided them the means. Man, this guy is twisting God's word badly. Luke 22, and when he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. The reason why they didn't lack anything is because that was the mission we just read about in Matthew's gospel, where they were to take nothing with them and be provided for by the people they were ministering to. Wow, Kong He basically just said, hey, that means Jesus gave them out of his abundant wealth, you know, and provided for them because, you know, he sends advanced teams and, you know, he's got a very sophisticated ministry. I think Kong, he has a very sophisticated way of twisting God's word, don't you? How many of you know, when God gives us a vision, he will bring us the provision. If Jesus sends his workers out, he makes sure they are all paid more than enough to take care of their families. So come on, give the Lord a big clap. How many... Yeah, that's not what happened there. How many preached tonight, right? Hallelujah. So, you're going to be there. so who's teaching the traditions of men? That would be Kang He. He's teaching human doctrines as if they're godly doctrines. Very clear. Did Jesus send them out begging for bread? Did Jesus send them out knocking on doors? Give donation card, please give to us. You know, if you don't give to us, our campaign cannot be successful. No, he didn't do that. Jesus sent them out to do the job. 
get adequate supply. So how can anyone consider Jesus poor? Now, what did the Jesus, what did the disciples do when they were hungry? John chapter 4, verse 8. In the King James Bible, it says, His disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat, not bread and water, not porridge. And yeah, the, just because they bought meat doesn't mean that they're, they're normally just ate bread and water. It, oh my goodness, this is just bizarre what he's doing with these texts. And soy sauce, hallelujah. They had the means to eat healthy, substantial food because the work is hard. The work is long. So often in our Sunday school, you know, our Sunday school teachers, not City Harvest, but in many Sunday schools, you know, they always try to challenge the kids. And they say, oh, kids, if Jesus come into our town, will you invite him home for a hot meal? And we have all this flannel grab, and we put a poor, skinny, God-looking Jesus, you know, like as if he's begging for food, oh, will you have pity on Jesus and invite him to your house? Let me tell you something tonight. If Jesus come to your place, you won't have to invite him to your house. He will invite you out for a nice dinner. He will take you out to a nice restaurant. Because our Jesus is not a poor Jesus. Not a cheapskate Jesus. He's the Jesus that supplies all the needs. Oh, come on, give the Lord a big hand. Uh-huh. So he's the Jesus that supplies all of your... Now notice, Jesus does supply your needs. It doesn't say anything about him making you wealthy. Nor was Jesus wealthy. We've already debunked that from the biblical text. Number four, Jesus generously fed the hungry. He fed the hungry. Uh, yeah, he multiplied loaves and fishes. Now let's go and look at Luke chapter 9. Let's go to Luke chapter 9 right now. All right, so don't get upset with me. You know, I'm showing you from the Word of God. And the Word is the source of our faith, the rule of our conduct. Luke chapter 9, well, look at verse 11. And when the multitude knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who need no healing. Now Jesus cared for the health of the sick. But look at verse 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the monkey away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and countries, and lodge their provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, listen, if Jesus was poor and there were thousands of people, how foolish was he to say to his disciples, why don't you feed them? Because uh, have you read this text in its entirety? I can't believe what he's doing with this. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we're going to go and buy food for all of these people, for there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Other cross-references let us know that the disciples don't have the money. They basically said, listen, the 200 denarii wouldn't even buy enough for even everybody to have one bite. I mean, yeah, Jesus doesn't say go and buy them something to eat because he expects them to do it. It's because he's going to perform a miracle and multiply loaves and fishes. Because honestly, they have no money to buy food. But notice the disciples didn't even bat an eyelid. They didn't complain there wasn't enough money. 
He said, they said, now look over here. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and we buy food for all these people. You see, so they're saying, Jesus, do you want us to go right now and buy food for everybody? Now, how many people were there? Yeah, that's not what was going on. And the cross-references help us with this. Let's look at Mark's account of it. Mark chapter 6. I will start at verse uh, 35. Here's what it says. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Notice the disciples didn't say, Hey, let's tap into our treasure chests here and we'll buy food for them. And um, yeah, and so Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Which kind of implies that's how much they had. Uh, and give it to them to eat. And they said, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they had found out. They said, five and two fish. Yeah. So, yeah, the disciples do bat an eyelash. And the Gospel of Mark's account uh, helps us understand that. Scripture interprets Scripture. I'm glad that we have more than one account here in order to, for us to not be deceived by what Kong He is doing with this passage. I mean, this is absolutely duplicitous. Well, there were 5,000 men. If you include the women, say there are 5,000 women, because in the Bible, usually they don't talk about the women in those days, and they don't include the children. So let's say you have 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 10,000 kids. Altogether, we're talking about 20,000 people there that day. And Jesus said, why don't you feed them all? Now, yeah, he said that to test them. Now, assuming, all right, if food for a person is $5, for 20,000, that's $100,000. And remember, in those days, they have no credit cards. They don't go to the desert and say, you accept Visa, Master, American Express. They don't write checks. In other words, when Jesus went, he carried money boxes. He carried his... <laughs> yeah, he apparently forgot his money boxes when it came to the two drachma tax. Treasury. Anytime he needed, he's able to feed tens of thousands of people. Now, in fact, that leads me to point number five. Jesus had a treasurer. Hey, guys, if Jesus was a destitute and penniless, why? He was, Judas was the keeper of the money bag. Saying he was a treasurer is like exalting him to the level of, you know, a CFO or something. Yeah, Jesus didn't have one of those. And Judas wasn't that. Why does he need a treasurer? I mean, you don't have a treasurer for the sake of, man, can I give a title to be a treasurer but we have no money? Of course not, right? He had an accountant, a full-time accountant among his team, looking after all the finances. Now go with me to the Gospel of John. Right now let's go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, and look at verse 6. John chapter 12, and verse 6. Now look over here. Now who can tell me the name of his treasurer? Judas Iscariot, the crook. Right? It says in verse 6, And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Now, <laughs> yes, this is, it's true. 
they had a money bag. They took collections. <laughs> it doesn't say money boxes. It says, you know, let me read the story. Um, John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus, uh, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Those, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag. He used, yeah, it's it's singular there in the text. <laughs> yeah, singular money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Um, yeah, um, so this, just because Jesus had somebody in charge of the money bag and it wasn't him, doesn't mean that he had a full-time accountant. I mean, what Kong He is doing here is so sick and satanic. We continue. Another part of the Bible tells us Judas was embezzling the money to buy properties. Now, there can't be a lot of money for you to steal in order for you to buy properties. You have- Judas was buying properties? What text says that? What text says that Judas was buying properties? Not familiar with that text. You have only a few pennies. What can you buy? What can you steal it for? So obviously Jesus had a lot of money, and even when Judas was embezzling, his ministry can still go on. You see, he got more than enough. More than enough. He knew that that Judas was stealing, but it was more than enough for him to continue his ministry. Now, look over here right now. Now, I'm going to make a point. I think I know what the reference is for Judas buying properties. It's not <laughs> what was uh, what was the price uh, for Judas to betray Jesus? Thirty pieces of silver. And what happened uh, after Jesus was crucified? Uh, uh, well, Judas, when he saw what was happening, he basically tried to give the money back, and he threw it into the temple. And the uh, the guys who gave him the money said, "Oh, we can't we can't use that. That's blood money." So they used Judas's thirty pieces of silver to buy a field. Yeah, the field of blood, Akadalma. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Judas was buying properties, but he didn't buy it with Jesus's money. He bought it with the uh, thirty pieces of silver that he ended up giving back to the temple people and they ended up buying a property for him wow this is sick make no mistake about it right jesus had money he needed an accountant a treasurer to keep proper financial accounts number six jesus never considered himself poor that is a critical point yeah he said foxes have holes but the son of man has no place to lay his head you see if jesus said listen i'm poor then there's nothing more to say He's a poor Savior. He's a poor Jesus. But never once, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yeah. He couldn't even play, pay the two drachma tax without a fish miracle. You ever find Jesus calling himself poor? But quite on the contrary, he 
he called himself rich. Now, I want you to look at chapter 12 and look at verse 1. All right, let's look at the context here. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Remember the story? He raised Lazarus after four days from the dead. And then they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his hair with her hair, with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who betrayed him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, stop there for a moment. Many things to say over here. Mary came and offered up a very costly perfume. How costly was it? It was one year's salary. Very costly. Mary broke it in worship of Jesus. So she offered up as a sacrifice to worship Jesus. Judas got angry. Why can't you just sell it and give the money to the poor? There's a lot of money, you know. Just give it away. Why do you need to be so extravagant in your worship? Notice that... Um... Judas knew that uh, Jesus was in the habit of giving money to the poor. Uh-huh. How I many of you know in two weeks' time, we're going to have a big building? Oh, some of you don't know. You're in the state of Shaw. We're going to have a big building. Amen. Yeah, the uh, SunTech Center, $340 million, I think. $310 million. $310, sorry. $310 million. What goes on in the mind of many people? Wow. So much money. Why don't we take this money and give it to the poor? Listen, it's the spirit of Judas. Yeah, this is just sick. Uh, yeah, $310 million for the SunTech Center. And yeah, people are saying, listen, you can't really justify this as a Christian church. You can't. And notice that the text he was reading actually does show that it was standard fare for Jesus to give money to the poor. That what Judas was saying had to do with what Jesus was doing. But it was because he didn't care for the poor. He he wanted to actually steal some of that money himself. That was the issue. Oh, man, this is unbelievable. He's been around for 2,000 years. It's not something new that you find only on the internet chat room. It's been, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So has the devil. It's still the same devil. Oh, come on, you want to clap your God, you clap. Judah said, Judah said, why was this thing not sold for 300 denarii? And give it to the poor. Right? Thank you very much for the whistle. Amen. Now, listen. All right. Now, he said that. He said that. And then, how did Jesus defend her? Look at the seven. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me? I'm not the poor. You do not 
Yeah, Jesus didn't say anything about me not being poor. Yeah, me you will you you will not always have with you is Jesus basically saying I'm about to die on the cross and then be raised from the grave. So yeah, the distinction is Jesus is not saying hey I'm wealthy. Yeah, yeah, that's not what he's saying at all. This is this is sick. You see, can you see something very important over here? Jesus and his disciples distinguished themselves from poor people. Oh, that was not Jesus distinguishing himself from poor people and, and in the sense that he's wealthy. It's because he's king of kings and lord of lords. What she did was an act of worship. You want to help poor people? You can always help them. But hey, for me, you want to bless me. You got to have the right time. In the right hour. You see, Jesus didn't concern himself what? You see, Jesus didn't say, Well, you know what? You know what, guys? You know, there will always be poor people like me. He didn't say that. He says, You want to help the other poor people like them? You can help them anytime. But you want to worship me? You got to do it now. When the property price is low and we are getting our recession, and do it for a building in the marketplace, for the marketplace, to penetrate the marketplace. Oh, come on, somebody, give God a big hand tonight. Yeah, we got to do this now while property prices are low. 310, 310 million bucks. Yeah, that's really low. Oh, I can hear you. You want to clap? Clap with both hands and give the Lord a great shout. Hallelujah. Yeah, so he's twisting this verse in order to get them whooped up into uh, you know a frenzy about spending three hundred and ten million to buy the SunTech Center. Number seven, Jesus cared for the poor and regularly gave to them. Now let's go to the next chapter, John chapter thirteen. Now they're coming closer to the cross and they're having the Last Supper. Verse twenty-seven. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Well, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Now, of course, what was Judas doing? Judas was going to betray Jesus. But some thought, verse 29, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Now, the disciples thought one of two things. Either Jesus was asking Judas to pay for the meal, which was the Last Supper, or Jesus was telling Judas, quickly give to the poor. Now, why would they think Jesus wanted to give to the poor? Because they've seen over and over and over again for three and a half years, Jesus regularly gave to the poor. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he somehow was independently wealthy. He would set aside part of what the people were giving him to support his ministry and give it to the poor. That's what's happening, and you can read that in the in the Gospels. You see, friends, after all the stuff and ministry expenses, you can't have a ministry to the poor unless you have money to spend. If you can't even feed yourself, how can you feed the hungry? If you don't even have clothing on your back, how are you going to clothe the naked? If you have spare money after you pay for everything, how can you serve the purpose of God? Are you with me tonight? Amen. Number eight, Jesus had his own house. He had- yeah, he did have his own house in Capernaum. It wasn't a mansion, folks. It was just a very humble house. He had his own house. 
Now, one standard objection is this. I hear many people say, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. Yeah, that's later in his ministry. Yeah, once Jesus becomes the itinerant preacher, he abandons his home. He's not there anymore. Poor Jesus. He had no home to go to. All right. Now, the implication here is he's so poor, even foxes and birds are luckier than him. But the truth here is this. Jesus easily had one or two houses. Now, look at John chapter 1 right now. Let's go to John chapter 1. Oh, hallelujah. John chapter 1. And let's look at verse 37. John 1 verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translate the teacher, Where are you staying? So they said, Jesus, where are you staying? Did Jesus say, Well, foxes have holes, but of the NMS. Yeah, notice what he's trying to do. He's basically trying to get around that verse and basically saying, see, he didn't say I don't have a place to lay my head. He said, said, come and see. So that means he had a mansion. No, that's not what that means. It's true that Jesus did have a house before he started his itinerant ministry. Um, And it's in Capernaum. And that was the place where, you know, they dug through the roof and lowered the paralytic. It was at his house. But, you know, later in his ministry, he's got nowhere to go that's his place that's his home yeah this you know so in the beginning of his ministry he does have a home you know where did jesus grow up in nazareth his he had a family home there he had a home in capernaum and then as he you know goes into his ministry and begins teaching all throughout judea and all the way up into parts of syria um you know he, he no longer has a place to call his home home to go to no, Jesus said verse 39. He said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. They stayed overnight. You see, how are you going to stay overnight unless you have a home to stay into? Now, this was Jesus' home in Nazareth. But he later relocated to Capernaum and sent on his missions headquarters over there. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, in the New Living, an NIV version, the New International Version, right? The never incorrect version, NIV. So you know it's not incorrect. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. The point is, how could Jesus come home if there's no home to go to? You said, but what about foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests? But the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. Now the context here is this. Foxes and birds can take a break when they are tired. But Jesus Christ was on an urgent mission. He had three and a half years to change all of humanity. So Jesus says, you know, foxes can rest. Birds can take a break. But I must work while it's still day, because the night cometh when no man can work. I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to go about my father's business to save the world when I see Now, come on, give God a big hand. Yeah, I mean, this is just duplicitous, what he's doing with these biblical texts. Jesus explicitly warned about the deceitfulness of riches. 
and how difficult it is for those who have wealth to be saved. And he himself couldn't even pay the two drachma tax. Yeah, he had a money bag, which means that, yeah, he had, and there was, it's also very clear from uh, the Gospels that Jesus had some wealthy women who supported his ministry. They underwrote things for him so that he could uh, do his work. And he made a habit of, you know, caring for the poor and giving to them. This is something he did regularly. But um, to basically say that Jesus, you know, was rich, no, not at all. That's, <laughs> no. And wealthy by today's standards, not even close. He definitely survived off of the generosity of those who underwrote his ministry. Oh, come on, you want to give the Lord a big clap? <laughs> Number nine. And this one, I hope you're not upset, but it's in the Bible. Jesus wore good clothes. Good clothes. Now look at John chapter 19 and verse 23. John chapter 19 and verse 23. Jesus wore good clothes. Really? I don't think so. All right. Now, here was Jesus Christ on the cross. Tell your neighbor as he was on the cross. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. To each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was without sin, woven from the top in one piece. And they said therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, for the scripture my which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did those things. Now, two pieces of clothing over here. The garment that means the, the inner garment, the undergarment, and the robe. Now, the CNN report make a uh, they, they, they make a point that was very good. They said who among the Hollywood stars have ever auctioned off their underwear and people want to buy it? That's because they don't understand how clothing worked in the ancient world. It's quite simple. You couldn't go to Walmart and buy clothes. You know, you the, putting together clothing was actually qu quite laborious and very difficult. And as a result of it, clothing, regarding, regardless of how humble, was considered valuable. And so it does not, Jesus was not a guy who wore designer clothes. And let me give you an example that, you know, I think a text that makes this very clear. Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 8. So as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. Notice Jesus is not pointing to himself as if, hey, I wear soft clothing. I wear good stuff here. Jesus is like John the Baptist. He's not one who wears soft clothing. But he did have a tunic. He did He did, He did. did have an outer garment. So, yeah, you know, oh, man, this is just, again, it's so duplicitous. It's absolutely satanic what uh, uh, Kong He is doing here. Yeah, false soldiers were fighting for his undergarment. And they are even happy to have one quarter of each. But the rope, too expensive. They say, listen, we are not going to cut this. It's very expensive. It's seamless. 
So we cast lots for it. Friends, I mean, listen, even on his way to the cross, Jesus woke up close, so good, his enemy were fighting over it. Yeah, you're overstating it. Yeah, it was seamless. It was not soft clothing, though. It was not the kind of clothing that rich people wear. Jesus makes it clear that's not the kind of clothes he wore. I just read the text. Well, soldiers cast lots for torn and tattered rags of a beggar. You know, I tell you, we sent our team to Haiti. Some of them sort the clothes. They take the sticks and they lift up each other's nose. And go and throw it aside. Because they're parasites. I mean, we won't take clothes from, from homeless people. We burn it away. We sanitize it. Why? Because they're bugs. Because they are terrible staff. But here, they fought for his clothes. Because he wore good clothes. You see, friends, the point I'm trying to tell you is this. Never once in the Bible you'll find a Savior who is poor. You'll find a Savior who can exemplify for us what it means to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. How to be blessed in our coming in and blessed in our going out. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Somebody shout hallelujah. What about Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9? For we know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So yes, Jesus Christ did become poor, but not as the Son of God who created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Not as the Son of God before time began. Not during his 33 and a half years of ministry on, on the earth. And certainly, number three, not in his resurrected state as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When John saw Jesus Christ on the island of Patmos in a vision, Jesus... Yeah, it, right. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was poor. That's what Second Corinthians is talking about. He became poor. <laughs> He is just doing a dance around the obvious text here. Jesus was covered with gold. So the only moment Jesus became poor was when he went to the cross of Calvary. No, 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 no. no. So Jesus experienced poverty for just a few hours while he was on the cross. That is not what this text is talking about. Wow. This is sick. On the cross, Jesus was in hunger. He was in thirst. He was in nakedness. He was in need of everything. Jesus Christ on the cross was in absolute poverty. But yet, Jesus did it for you and I. Jesus, he, he was poor for six hours of his life. Oh, that was so difficult for Jesus to do. Yeah. <laughs> what on earth? To be our substitute. Because he loves us. He was made sin on the cross. So that you and I can become the righteousness of God in him. He took upon himself the sin, the sickness of the world on the cross. So that you and I can be healed. And we can live in good health. Jesus was made a curse on the cross. So that we can live in good health. On the cross, So that the blessing of God can blow into our lives. 
Now listen, Jesus Christ became poor on the cross so that you, through his poverty, can become rich and live a life of great abundance. So come on, give God a big hand. Yeah. So that you can live a life of great abundance. Ay, ay, ay. It's so that we can have eternal life. This is, I, it's unbelievable what is going on here. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. It's so bad. We continue. Those who are poverty-minded will constantly insist, no, we can't expect to be rich because a holy man must be poor. Then God is a liar and Jesus went to the cross in vain. Then this verse is made of no effect. You know what? People say, I must identify with Jesus Christ. One time, I, I remember I met a, 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 a church elder, and he was wearing a broken down sandals. So I said, hey, your sandals broken down. Just buy a new one. Oh, no. I just want to follow the footsteps of Jesus and walk like Jesus did in poor sandals. So many people think, well, I want to identify with Jesus and his poverty on the cross. Now, does that mean? Because Jesus was make sin, you should continue to be a sinner? Then because Jesus was, took our sicknesses on the cross, you should continue to be sick? Yeah, let me read another biblical text I think that will help us out here because, I mean, this is, this is so twisted. I, I am almost dumbstruck. 1 Timothy chapter 6, If anyone teaches a different gospel and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Uh, Yeah, um, (laughs) you know... Over and again, all of the clear passages are warning, warning us against those who would exploit us with false words, teaching for shameful gain, thinking that godliness is a means of gain. Christianity is not, you know, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't have anything to do with, you know, you becoming wealthy in this life. Then because Jesus took the curse on the cross, you should continue to live in defeat. Now, does that mean, therefore, that because Jesus took our poverty, we should stay as poor as we can forever and ever? Of course not. Because the Bible says, for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich for the glory of God. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Let me give you another text. An overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded. This is 1 Timothy 3, 2. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh Uh-huh. We continue. Oh, come on. Give him praise. Give him praise tonight. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'll fast forward. See? The Bible never shows us a Jesus who was broke, a Jesus who was destitute, penniless, hard up, desperate, impoverished. 
No, he wore designer clothes. He had he was wealthy from the moment he was born. He he was oh man, I mean he had a he had a CFO and an accountant and Jesus was just loaded. He was poor for 6 hours, you know, on a Friday afternoon while he's being crucified, but for the rest of his life he was loaded. Not true at all. Lacking, undernourished, needy, pitiful, never. Quite on the contrary, the Bible shows us a savior who's always been prosperous. Now, don't have this shallow thinking that being rich means you must have a fat bank account or have many mansions and houses in all the different cities of the world. Listen, I learned something a long time ago. Prosperity is not really an account balance. It's a mentality balance. You know, what is real abundance? Real abundance is having the financial, real prosperity is having the financial abundance to obey God's will whenever He wants you to, however He wants you to. So many people have fed their accounts. But when God wants them to give, they can't give. When God wants them to do certain things, they can't do it. Then they're not really rich. They're not really. Because they don't have the financial abundance to obey God's will. Jesus was prosperous, very prosperous. Because he could easily obey his Father's will. Whenever the Father wanted him to, however the Father wanted him to. If Father God wanted him to go in throughout all the cities and the villages in Israel, no problem. If Father God wanted him to feed tens of thousands of hungry people, no problem. If Father God wanted him to pay for the taxes of Simon Peter, no problem. If Father God wanted him to give generously to the poor, no problem. See, even while he was living under the oppression of the Romans, difficult times, Jesus had more than enough to meet his own personal needs. He had more than enough to meet the needs of his family. Meeting your needs and being wealthy. You've described him as rich from you know the day he was born. That's two different things. You're equivocating, Kong. He had more than enough to freely travel everywhere, advancing the cause of the kingdom. He was able to support all his disciples and all their families and take care of them. All yeah, uh, again, nowhere does it say Jesus financially underwrote and had a salary that he was giving to his disciples. Unbelievable. This is, uh, wow. All throughout the land. I've shown you nine Bible reasons tonight why Jesus wasn't wasn't poor. Number one, as a baby, he was showered with great treasures. Number two, he had many wealthy partners supporting him. Number three, he was able to pay for all the entire ministry team. Number four, he generously fed the hungry. Number five, he had a treasurer. Number six, he never considered himself poor. Number seven, he cared for the poor and regularly gave to them. Number eight, he had his own house. Number nine, he wore good clothes. So you ask me tonight, Pastor Kong, why is this important to me? I'm glad you asked. This is important. You know why? Because a servant can never be greater than his master. Friends, because we become like whom we worship. If we worship 
a poor Savior, we will always be poor. But if we worship a Savior who we know to be rich and prosperous and have more than enough, we'll be changed from glory to glory into the image of the one that we worship. Oh, come on, give God a big hand. Wow. So uh, if we worship a rich Jesus, we're going to become rich too. This is just sick. And because we live in a spiritual kingdom where prosperity and wealth is our rightful inheritance. That's why I say it before I say it again. You may be poor tonight. You may be poor right now, but you follow Jesus Christ. You follow the word of God. You'll never be poor all your life. Prosperity is our rightful inheritance. And because we read a Bible that teaches us how to work hard, how not to look for shortcuts in life, how to move in the power of God and have the wisdom of God to succeed in life. So when the Bible says we can bring all the tithes and all the offerings into the storehouse, we know our God means it when He says, I will open up the windows and pour out a blessing so great that it will heal you to overflow. Yeah, he's teaching you're blessed by your tithing. Uh, Old Covenant, uh, no no command in the New Covenant to tithe. And the storehouse is not the church. We know that we know that we know he means it. You see, that when we, when we follow what the Bible says, that we give our tithes and offerings, that God will bless us so that we can be a blessing to the whole world. Now, friends, listen. A poor man cannot teach you how to prosper. Hello, guys, are you with me? Yeah? Only a rich man can show you. A poor savior cannot get you out of poverty. Only a prosperous savior can tell you, you may be poor right now, but follow the principle of God's word. Only a prosperous savior. Yeah, poor, you know, poor man can't teach you how to be rich. Unbelievable. So Jesus must be rich. Word, and you'll get 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The law of the harvest works. Oh, come on, give God a big hand. Wow, this is just blasphemous. But can I give you one more reason? More importantly, because we know there is the will of the most holy God for us to prosper. That means we can actually prosper and become rich in life without losing our holiness. We can be successful without compromising our morality, our integrity, our honesty. So I don't buy this nonsense that you got to cheat and lie and step on everybody else and bully in order to be rich. I don't believe that. I believe that we serve a holy God who is pure and who is, who is, who is never, never, walking in sin, because we serve a God that is most pure, we can be rich like Him and never compromise our moral character. Come on, give God a big hand. Wow. Again, just unbelievable what He's doing. Oh, hallelujah. That also means this. We can be rich without sacrificing our marriage, our family, our spiritual life. Sometimes... I hear people say, Pastor, I can't serve you. I'm so glad of Martin and Pauline. God has prospered them and they are cell leaders. And they go to Bible school. 
and they are able to serve God. Some people say, I can't serve God. You know, I have no time. I got my business. I have no time for cell group. I have no time for church. As if it's either you're rich or you're spiritual. But because our spiritual God, who is a holy God, an anointed God, He can be rich and yet spiritual. That tells me I can be like Him. I can be on fire for God. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and at the same time prosperous in my life. Well, come on, give God a big hand. Yeah, now that's the end of that train wreck. Over and again, Scripture warns those who are trying to teach for shameful gain the things they ought not to teach. A pastor and an elder in the church and the overseers are not to be men who are greedy for gain. Jesus was not wealthy. He was not. What Kong did there is just satanic and duplicitous. And all of that's to justify the lifestyle that he and his wife had been living. And again, I come back to the point that I made earlier. And I mean this. My prayer for Kong He, for his soul, is that he goes to prison and that he loses everything for his own sake. Because only then, only then it seems like, is it possible for him to wake up and be repentant for all of this false teaching and all the things he did in the name of his prosperity and prophecy and all this kind of stuff. Unbelievable what we're hearing here. Pray that next week, Hong He is sent to prison and that in prison he repents and is forgiven for all of this false teaching and false you know, nonsense that he was teaching. Oh, you don't have to compromise and be rich. Oh, he compromised big time when he dipped his hand into... Uh, the church's funds in order to fund his wife's secular singing career. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.